Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. episode 160 of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. My name is Elisa and today it is Wednesday, June the 21st, 2023. Today on the show is mind coach, mother, wife, and former dancer on So You Think You Can Dance USA and Dancing with the Stars, Ashley DiLello. Ashley is the creator of Bio-Emotional Healing. This is a revolutionary process based in neuroscience that helps people rewire their nervous systems to create mind-body freedom. We talk all about this incredible process, what it is, what it looks like, how it feels. It's a must-listen to today. When I found her via the world of social media, I was immediately captivated by her dedication and her strength and conviction and her energy. She's one of these coaches who has such beautiful energy. She stood out. She stood out in the health and wellness world as a woman who walks the talk. She doesn't just talk the talk. She walks the walk. She practices what she preaches and has changed her entire life multiple times. Her story is wild, (laughs) which I might add might be hard to imagine because at age 13, She was suddenly faced with a life-threatening illness that led her to years of chronic pain, emotional trauma, and not trusting or feeling safe in her body. That was huge, huge. So we go into her journey in depth from almost dying to the power of the brain, recovery, and letting go. I know everyone who tunes in to the Elisa Unfiltered podcast is going to love this episode. So If it resonates, please share it, post it, spread the word. We can all use more self-empowerment tools in our lives right now, right? With that, let's get into today's episode. Here is Ashley DiLello. Ashley, welcome to the show. This is going to be, I think, a really awesome conversation. I have so many questions for you. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm ex- I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, round two. Round two yes. conversation. <laughs> the first time that we tried to run this podcast, I was having internet issues. And, you know, thank you for booking back in because, man, you have such a fascinating story. A lot of parallels, too, with the high-performance athlete. I mean, I used to ski, compete for Canada for eight years. That elite wow. performance is something that really I was drawn to with your work. And of course, your message about bio-emotional healing, which I want to talk about in a bit. But I want to start with your story. I want to start with how you got through some of the most difficult days of your life through illness, through adversity, through doctors telling you you couldn't, to where you are now, this thriving entrepreneur, keynote speaker, public figure, that's just really inspiring. Like you aren't, you aren't one of those people that's, that's, you know, just talks the talk. You walk the talk 
it's awesome. You, yeah. Um, well, thank you. I mean, it's a, I always say, I mean, obviously it's always a choice, but it's amazing what we can do when we have to. Right. And, and we still choose to, but you know, that's, that is the gift of adversity. It can really show us, you know, what we can be made of and how far the human spirit and body can be pushed and, and still continue. Mm-hmm. And, and I've definitely had my moments of, of being broken and defeated and, and wondering if I could do it. Um, and so I, I do have this story of defeating the odds twice, right? Two life altering experiences that I'll put in concisely because it's a, it's a 27 year journey, but I will say that I certainly had my moments wondering if I could, you know, and some days it was one day, one moment (laughs) Mm -hmm. at a time. And I think everybody can relate to that, that feeling of how in the world do I get from where I am to where I want to be. Mm -hmm. So it, my journey started, I didn't know you were a competitive skier first. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. That's, that's so awesome. We'll have to talk about that another day. That's, that's just amazing. And and that's a type of fearlessness <laughs> that not everybody certainly has to go down the mountain at that speed. Um, yeah. But my journey started at 13. I was, uh, I, I love dancing. I felt born to dance and started at age three and started dancing five hours a day at age seven. It was just something I knew from a very young age. I wanted to do competitively and to the highest level that I could. And so I'm 13 years old, dancing five hours a day, you know, loving life, the epitome of health. In fact, my nickname was the Energizer Bunny because okay. I didn't <laughs> ever seem to run out of energy. And then literally overnight, no warning. I was fighting for my life and I woke up in pain in every joint and muscle, absolute unbelievable fatigue, um, a whole breadth of symptoms that was the beginning of four years of fighting for my life. And the hardest part about it was I was going to every doctor, every specialist, and no one could diagnose me. It's the craziest thing when you're like praying for a diagnosis to be, true. Cause then you have something to fight. You know what you're doing. You can create an action plan, but when you don't know, but you're, you're dying, you're, you're literally so sick. You're in so much pain. My hair was falling out. My skin became all yellow. Cause my liver was shutting down. I got to the place where I could barely lift a finger or some days even utter words. And that's a really scary place. Like I, I told my mom, sometimes it's taking too much energy to lay here. And I I definitely feel like I know what it's like to be so close to dying and that literally my will to live is, is what kept me going. And that's what brought me to my eventually work with the brain, but really understanding that mind body connection. Cause there were nights that I was too afraid to go to sleep. I really felt like if I surrendered that conscious will to live, my body was just too sick, too tired that if I had just allowed it, felt like I could go to sleep and and not wake up. And so I would, I would force myself to stay awake. And those were long nights of just willing my body to keep fighting and to keep living. And I'm grateful I was born uh, a stubborn soul who loved life, but also had a passion for something so deeply. And I think that is the gift because I wanted to live again, but I was also determined to dance again. The thing mm. that I was absolutely told I would never do. 
And so through all of this and them not being able to diagnose me, they, and this was 27 years ago when it started. And so obviously medicine and advances in medicine and, and functional medicine and all of that have come lifelines, right. In, in its journey. But back then the best they had was I had some rare viral infection. No one could diagnose, didn't know how to treat. And so they essentially sent me home to die and, and told me I needed to accept. I wasn't going to live past my teenage years, never dance again, never have kids, never live an active life. And I remember that moment when this doctor is laying out all these nevers to me and just the shock of how is this my life? Like how in the world did my life suddenly become this? Like what happened to my life? And I'm being told by an expert, like, this is it. My life ends here and all my dreams and ambitions. And I had no idea how I was going to survive this, but I just had this belief inside that my life wasn't meant to just end at 13. And, and so without knowing, I just remember looking at the doctor and saying, I don't accept this. Like I do not, I don't know how in the world I'm going to survive this. I feel myself dying, but I just also felt deep inside. If I accept I'm dying, then all chances of survival are off the table. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I had a mother that felt the same. Mm you know, and it was a, it was a long journey and we, you know, and that's a whole other story, but it was a long journey of willing my body to live and then supporting my body the best I could with medicine, like functional medicine, homeopathic supplements, nutrition, and all that is mainstream today. Back then it was right. like voodoo. You're going to the lady with dreadlocks, burning incense, <laughs> like, you yes. know, yes. It, and, and there was no Google Facebook, Instagram, social media, podcasts, YouTube, yeah. you had to find it in the yellow pages or word of mouth, you know? And so it was a much different search and quest, like to find help in that regard. And I come from a Western medical family. So it was, it was a real shift in like, we don't know what we have, but let's support your immune system as much as we can to fight this viral infection. And it was such a slow process, um, of being able to get from my bedroom to the bathroom, to walking a few houses to then around the block, you know, and, and, and such a slow, but progressive journey and starting to reclaim my health. And that was miraculous in and of itself. Right. And it took about four years between wow. really fighting between life and death. So you can imagine that had a profound impact on my nervous system. I, people talk oh. about survival and fight or flight. Like that was my hard wiring. That was my body had to, if I didn't fight, I felt like I was going to die. You know, if I went to sleep, I felt like I was going to die. And so at the time it was necessary, obviously, but that's again, what led me to my work over 20 years later, because I didn't know I literally was hardwiring my system to operate in that yes. constant state of stress and survival. What and an, so what a what a revelation for a 13-year-old to have and an experience in itself, but you're still like in your formative years in in many cases, in many ways. And to have from 13 to 17 be this scary, traumatic illness like your your life was not the same as every other 
teenage kid. You didn't get to do the things that they did. You were literally sort of tunnel visioned into health at this point. Correct. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I had to grow up overnight, grow right? Because mm-hmm. a thirteen-year-old can't handle that level of um, responsibility, right? It, to find answers, to be diligent, so diligent in my nutrition and supplements, and in my mind, because I, I not only lost the ability to have a teenager, I lost the thing I had felt born to do. And people who love something so deeply. And devote their life to it and then lose it. It is, it is a hurt. Like, and at that time it was like, my heart felt like it was ripped out. And I remember even thinking like, God, why would you give me such a passion and a talent to then take it away from me? And it, it was so isolating because my friends would come around for a while, but then what do you say? to your friend that's dying. And like, you're 13, you're 14. I think some people were afraid to see me. You know, I got down to like 90 pounds. I was so weak, my hair falling out. And I, and again, I don't, I don't think they knew what to say. And they probably felt like, what do we talk about? Cause we can't talk about like what we're doing and, you know, and so it was very isolating. I felt so much older than my age. I didn't have the carefree teenage years. I was living in hospitals and doctor's offices and, you know, fighting for my life through the night. And as much pain as it caused me though, to lose dance, like I referenced before, I realized what a gift it was because it was such a driving force, like to, to not just get back to being a person, but I will do this thing again. I can't even lift a finger, but somehow I am going to have the physical strength and capacity to dance and to dance the way I once did. And that was, that was such a driving force and something that I would, would visualize. And at the time, again, no one was talking about visualization 27 years ago, like not, (laughs) not in a way that was acknowledged in the, in the way it is today and like understood. And, and what's powerful in that is just in jumping ahead, you know, the brain is wired to validate beliefs And I had no idea about the brain, about neuroplasticity, about how it worked. Again, I'm 13 years old. I would have had to go get some neuroscience medical journal from the library, you know, (laughs) I, but 20 years later, I see that I see that mechanism of the brain in action because deep inside, I had a belief that I would live and dance again. And so without anybody telling me that belief drove my brain to do what it does, find evidence to validate it. And so since I had no external evidence, none whatsoever, I had this thought come into my head. Well, I'm going to spend all my time in tests and scans and imaging, and I'm going to dance. I'm going to dance in my mind. And so that's what I would do. I remember laying in MRI machines because also they didn't have like music or video back then. It was just you and the machine with all the noise, you know, not even a Walkman somewhere, but you couldn't bring it in there. No, you couldn't bring it in. So you were just stuck with like the construction zone, you know, and I was doing, I was doing this all the time because we literally were testing me for any possible diagnosis. And so I would just spend that time. And I would dance and I would see myself doing it in class, in competition, on stage. I would go through movement patterns. And sometimes I remember it being so real. I would just be crying, but not from sadness, 
I definitely had those moments of absolute sadness and loss, but these moments were sadness rooted in gratitude and joy at doing the thing I loved most again. And of course, what I didn't understand then is that doing that for six years was creating neural pathways as if I had been dancing since the brain doesn't know the difference, right? Between something real and something we're vividly creating and imagining. It creates those neural pathways as as if it's happened. And why that's so remarkable is for four years, I was fighting, you know, for my life, but then it took another two years to regain enough strength to go back to dance. So a six-year absence, and as a competitive skier, can you imagine taking your whole teenage years off of skiing? No, I mean, that's, that's that when, is the pivotal, that's a pivotal the, time. Yep. Yeah. It, no one's like, I'm going to become a professional athlete. I'm 20. You know? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yeah. good luck. I mean, there might be an outlier out there somewhere, yeah. but probably right. Not. Probably it's, it's your formidable years because any professional athlete, also your career is shortened mm-hmm. by nature of age and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the amount of stress on your body. So I walked back into the dance studio after a six year absence, all my, you know, friends and teammates had been competing and training because ball, I was a ballroom dancer. So we train and compete more like gymnasts or ice skaters. We have coaches, we have world championships. So it is a competitive sport, kind of different from all the other styles of dance. And so they had all trained and, you know, I, it took a lot of courage. I left as a girl and now I'm a woman. You know, and I'm a woman who also not only hasn't danced, hasn't been active. And your body's grown up a bit and you probably have a different center of mass and you're probably like, where's my arm going? (laughs) Like, what's my leg doing? Yeah. Yes. And your presentation as a 20 year old woman is different Mm -hmm. than a 13 year old girl, you know? So upgrading into all of that. and, And I mean, it took a huge degree of courage, right. And humility, because I, I left, you know, at the top of my game per se, and now I'm coming back, starting over and I worked really hard, but it was also insane how quickly my capacity came back and then Mm. surpassed the people around me. And I remember at the time people being like, what is happening? You know, and I'd go to competitions and people are like, who is this girl? Like, how do we not know who she is. And people would ask me and I'd be like, man, I don't even know. Like God is blessing me. You know, I worked really hard, but the capacity to which I got to in such a short time didn't make sense. And then, you know, fast forward 15 years later, where I start really diving into neuroscience and the brain. And I realized for six years, I created those neural connections as if I had been dancing. And so now it was just a matter of physically executing pathways I had already created, which was just amazing because it wasn't just that I was somehow blessed. I was blessed to access the power we all have. Do you think that your recovery was affected by these, by your visualizations? Like how, how did you, what, what did you do to just sort of like, why did it just all of a sudden end? Is there anything you did? My illness? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it was, it was, it was all in part. Those visualizations continue to 
remind my body of health and capacity yeah. and, and yeah. that create that impacts your cells that impacts healing. And I would every day focus on, I am healing. Right. And some days yeah. I would be like holding myself up in front of the mirror. Cause I was so weak. And I would be like, my body is healing. Right. I could focus on the fact that it was dying or I could focus on its capacity and my cells to, to recover and regenerate and my immune system to fight this viral infection. And so there was that aspect. And then there was like, I ate like my life depended on it. Right. right. It was like this food either strengthens my immune system or takes or away it. from it. Right. You know, and I did homeopathic medicine and I did supplements and it was, it was a journey and it was such a slow gradual. And I definitely believe that you have to treat the mind and the body right in conjunction. And, and that's what we did. And essentially just gave my immune system the capacity, both with what I was doing in my mind and how I was supporting it to, to build this resilience and fight off this virus. Um, how spectacular is the power of visualization? I mean, outside of sport, I learned it when I was competing. I learned it with my coaches. And I mean, I used it. It was a very effective tool for me. I mean, some people can visualize. And I know it's interesting because there's like visualizing as the first person. People visualize as the third person, like they watch themselves. Mm -hmm. And you can go in and out. Some people do like all sorts of like camera angles in the mind, if you, if you will. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just like, I, I guess for personally, I developed that skill as an athlete, but then in mm -hmm. my life, it's really interesting how, and I've, I've learned, maybe you can affirm this or not, that your brain doesn't know the difference between whether you're doing it or you're not doing it at a certain level, at a, some mm -hmm. level, it has no idea. So if you're visualizing something someone chasing you or someone at the door or a ghost in your house and you're scaring yourself when mm -hmm. you fit with your thoughts your mind is actually thinks that it's afraid like it doesn't know the difference between whether you're making it up or it's really actually happening is that mm -hmm. true yeah the absolute truth and and neuroscience and neuroimaging has proven it and here's the truth i think everyone's probably experienced this in a in a disempowering way like yes. if you've ever you could be alone in your room and you're thinking about something you're worried about or you're afraid of, or you don't want to happen, right? So you start thinking about it. You're thinking about what could go wrong, worst case scenario. You're seeing the scenario in your mind. And all of a sudden that worry starts to turn to fear and it's a visceral physical reaction. Mm. Like you yes. might get sick in your stomach. Your heart starts racing. You might start breathing shallow. You might start sweating and, and it, it becomes this physical experience, mm -hmm. but nothing's happening. You're alone in your room. <laughs> There's no threat in that one moment, but because of what you're creating in your mind, your body thinks it's actually happening. Right? Yes. That's what we're talking about. It's just That's most important. of us are really good at using it in a way that hurts us. Right. And, yes. and we're almost conditioned. Like how many of us have ever heard what's the worst that could happen? Let's, let's visualize on that and then hope something else happens. Right. Yeah. We do that. Right. We, yes. we think worst case, we all have experienced this creative power in a way that is negative, that reaffirms worry. We just need to learn how to use it in an empowering way. And that's, yes, what athletes do. Like the idea is what do you want to happen versus what do you 
not want to happen? And, and can you start to create that? And how do you feel in that? And what is the outcome? And, and there's, there's no limitations. Obviously this was my health. Um, athletes can use it. And I've, I've trained athletes. It's so powerful, right? But also anything in your life, people who want to publicly speak. And they're like, every time I get up yeah. there, I have a rash and I can't catch my breath. And it's like, well, every time that's happened, it's re-solidified that pattern and your brain makes that connection. Every time I speak, I need to have my heart race. I need to create a rash. I have a threat around it. And until we create something different, then the brain's going to just default back to that reference point. And so it's about really harnessing that creative power and making a new meaning for your brain mm-hmm. so that now that new experience is a reference point for your brain in the future. And so you now you're able to have a different experience. So this is a superpower. And that's why I love the brain because we're all so different, right? I, some people, it doesn't matter how much they would like visualize being a competitive skier. It might not be their natural ability, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. They might be able to go down the mountain and not crash, but- yeah. I can't ever be an NBA player, right? I'm five foot four. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's not my skill set. So we're all different in in gifts and talents and intellect and our experiences and our challenges and our weaknesses and all of that. But what I love about the brain is this superpower. This capacity is the greatest equalizer to our potential of what we want to be who we want to be, what we want to do. And we just have to learn how to harness it. But that's where the hard part comes in, which is belief, right? Because I've had people ask me like, what evidence did you see that like you could actually not die? Yeah, And I'm like, I had zero evidence. <laughs> I was dying. Like I was like, there was no like, sign. I didn't even have like a diagnosis that and was what like, did they hey. say to that? What did they say to that? Cause it's so interesting. I, I find society, I find society's view and this isn't everyone, but most people need the guarantee to dip their toe in the water. They need right. some, someone to tell them that it's going to be okay all the time for them to even like start. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's, that's why most of us don't utilize this power. Got it. Good, because it's a belief of creating something before there's any evidence of it actually being in reality, right? Now, that's not always the case because as a skier, you have evidence of capacity, right? But we're talking about maybe I don't have any evidence or I've always struggled in this way or I'm like in my instance, like I'm fighting for my life. No one's telling me like, this is what it is and we can treat it. Yeah, It's like, you're going to die. Good luck. Well, yeah. and I even got to that point where they literally were like, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. And they literally sent in a psychologist to talk to me because they said I was living in denial of my reality. Like I'm I'm 13 years old and they bring in a psychologist to help me accept that I'm dying. That's infuriating. It is, right? I understand. Now, and it's uh-huh. infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. I remember and thankfully I, I I was born with some stubbornness or I, I wouldn't be here. So there, you oh, know, all traits can have a place, but I remember looking at her and I said, um, I know I'm dying. I'm not in denial of that. Like I can feel it more than anybody in this yeah. room, <laughs> yeah. but I also feel inside if I just accept it, then that's exactly what's going to happen. 
And I want to at least have a fighting chance of something different. Right. And if I'm going to die, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out fighting like hell. Right. Like I gave it all I'm 13. Like, I'm not just going to give up on my life. And, and here's to that point. If maybe that was, I don't know, really the trajectory of my life, maybe I would have had some peace with it, but deep down inside, it was like, no, there's something more for me and my life. And if nobody can see it, I have to grasp hold of it because my life depends on it. And that's really true to all of our experiences, right? Whatever that belief is you have, or that dream on your heart, even the people who love you, they're from a place of wanting to protect you from like disappointment or failure, or they're speaking from their own limiting lens. They're going to try to, you know, bring you back to like, let's be realistic. And like, could that really happen? Maybe you should get a new dream or maybe you should just get a job. How many entrepreneurs have felt that, you know? And so we all, even though my life literally depended on it, we all have to do that with that dream and vision on our heart because no one's going to understand it like we do. Mm -hmm. And so we have to take hold of it. We have to protect it and we have to energize it every day and, and start using this creative power to move us towards it. Because as we do that, it becomes more familiar to the brain. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because we adapt to whatever we're going through. We adapt to our life. We adapt to who we are and the circumstances and the brain wants to stay in whatever's familiar. So dying, feeling horrible was really familiar after, you know, all those years. So every time you visualize, you start to bring in something else that's possible. And therefore it becomes more familiar to the brain. Whatever the brain is more familiar with, it feels safer in actually doing. And so there's so many levels of why this matters. And I had no idea what I was doing, you know, and it, like I said, I got back to dance and it was literally another 10 years after that, that I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that's what I did. And that's what helped facilitate my body's capacity to, to come back and do what it it did. And that's when I just, I, I love the brain so much because it's all of our superpower. Like I said, so you're in your early twenties, you're kicking ass and taking names on the dance floor. And then what happens? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yes. High top of the mountain. Right. I mean, <laughs> not realistically like you, but that's what it felt like. Right. Cause it was such a climb. And I mean, I, I became a, a top 12 ranked competitor in the United States, right. In, in collegiate level, my husband and I, cause my husband um, was also a, a ballroom dancer. We became partners after we got married, we traveled the world. We were performing, we competed on the United States. So you think you can dance um, against each other actually, but both went to the finale. (laughs) Then we became headliners in a Broadway show. And then also on the West end in London. And it was like, it was so miraculous. You know, it was so miraculous. And there was times I would just cry because it was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And, and through it, I had a lot of injuries as any professional athlete knows it's, it's when you push your body that way, you know, it's not an easy journey, even in that way. Right. So I'm, I'm recovering from injuries also, but still like my body's doing that. Mm -hmm. I'm at the top of the mountain. I have a second hip surgery. So I'd already had one and come back after eight months. I have a second one in 2016 and it fails. 
And I go from an elite athlete, my strongest self, top of my professional career to now not being able to walk and having pain throughout my whole body, which I'm, I now can't even hold my own two-year-old daughter, which was a miracle in of itself. Cause I was also told I'd never be able to have kids. And so now it's like complete deja vu, but I'm a mother now I'm an adult. I'm at the top of my professional career. I have so much more responsibilities and it's like, are we really doing this again? You know? And it was so deja vu because again, I didn't have answers. And now I'm like, okay, I've done this before. And there's so many more resources and I'm doing everything. Western, Eastern, functional, regenerative, holistic. Yeah, I'm doing, inevitably with time, I did over 200 different types of injections, stem cell, PRP, whatever you can think of. And no one can help me. And I'm being told again, this is what I'm being told. Your nervous system flipped a switch into pain. Like it flipped a switch in the surgery. You're a chronic pain patient now. Like it was like fibromyalgia or something or was yep, it? Got diagnosed with that. I okay. got diagnosed with fibromyalgia, chronic regional pain syndrome, interstitial cystitis, autoimmune, mm-hmm. you know, again, this is your life. The best you can do is manage it. I can't make this crap up. I literally had a doctor tell me you're not getting any younger. Mm-hmm. And I was what? 34. <laughs> like okay. you're not getting any younger and it's only downhill from here. Oh, like, is that lovely? And I was like, listen, my, I was like, my four-year-old's not getting any younger either. And I, I told him, listen, this is not my first rodeo. And I'm so, I told him, I'm like, this isn't even about me because I don't accept this, but how many other people have you said that to, and you're the expert and they've walked out of your office accepting it. And saying, this is my life. And so they stop searching for answers. They stop doing things in a way that would help their body to heal. Because now it's like, this is my life. This is my body. This is who I am. Here's your fibromyalgia pamphlet. The best you can do is manage it the rest of your life. You're 34 years old. I hope you enjoyed the health while you had it. You know, literally, that was my experience. Talk about a, a, a limiting belief just handed to you and, 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 you know, the box closing on your head, just like, like we create our own limiting beliefs. Yes. And when, especially when you trust in an authority figure who tells you what to believe, like, it's really hard to, especially most people are sort of trained to believe and put their trust in these individuals when you hear that, it's not your first, it's not always the first instinct to question them. Right. No, of course not. Because listen, and I have deep respect for absolutely, yeah, doctors and surgeons and the study that they went through. And they are an expert, right? In in a certain regard. Okay. Yeah. And I know they're also conditioned to look towards worst case scenario. And they've seen a lot of worst case scenario. But what gets left out? is the human capacity and will and the human spirit. And yes, what we also know is that the human body is unbelievably resilient and it is designed to heal. If you remove the blocks and barriers and you support it and, and that gets left out and it does become this very, 
well, this is what it looks like. And here's the thing. That's what it felt like. I was getting worse. My health issues were starting because I was sleeping maybe two hours a night. I'm in pain all day, nerve chronic pain in 12 areas of my body. You better believe that now my health started to have issues, right? So to his point, it looked like it was just going downhill, right? Yeah. But again, you remove what makes humans so amazing is that we are the ultimate adaptation machines. We have the ultimate ability to create and to think and to will into existence things that we once thought were impossible. And that's what I'm not okay with. Like, that's what I'm not okay. You can tell me this is what it looks like. You can tell me, I don't know how to help you. Like you can tell me in my experience, this is what I've seen, but you don't get to tell me that that's who I am. Like, and that's what's possible for me. Amen. So you go through all of this and you begin your work with bio-emotional healing. Can you tell me what that is? What is bio-emotional healing? Yeah. So I, after years into this and living in unrelenting pain and the stress with that and nearly losing our home and not being able to take care of my child and the huge ramifications. My husband and I lost our career together. You know, I lost the capacity to have more children. It was, it was, it was just so vast. And I'm, I'm living in such hell in a way that's harder than my illness because I'm in unrelenting nerve pain, which is like the worst torture. There's no escape. It's, It's torture. It's torture. It's There's no moment like out of chills it. Just listening to your story. I was like, oh, there's no moment. And again, I was sleeping maybe two, three hours a night. And I, I remember one night just being like, what is the point of all of this? Right. And, and no one's being able to help me and it's hurting my family. And I can't find the answer. And I've, I felt such desperation. Like I can't find the answer. And it was, it was probably the moment I've been closest to just being like giving up and accepting what the doctor said, because all the evidence was saying, this is true. Otherwise I'd find someone who could help me in some way. And so in that night, it was like my greatest desperation met my greatest determination because I thought if I can't find the answer, I'm going to create it. And if my nervous system flipped a switch into pain, then there's got to be a way to flip it back out. And that's where my experience as my, in my teenage years taught me that we are not limited. Like we, it's amazing what the human will spirit, mind, body can overcome. And so I'm not, if it can flip a switch negatively, we can flip a switch positively again. Right. Cause that switch has to be able to go both ways. So it makes sense to me. It makes sense, it right? Makes it's just so much nobody sense. talked it's about studied. it. It's not studied. It's not accepted medically. So it's not a possibility to certain people. And now you're flipping the switch literally and the script like freaking hell yes. Yes. And the beautiful thing is now with advances in neuroscience, it's way more understood. We cannot deny it. But back then, okay, even... I've been doing bioemotional healing for four and a half years now coaching people. But when I started studying it like six and a half years ago, seven years ago, it was not at all um, understood, accepted, widespread like it is today, thankfully, beautifully. Like I'm so grateful for that. But so I, I dove in deep into neuroscience and pain science and the mind-body connection and 
all pain comes from the brain. It's real in the body, but the brain decides where to send it, how much to send it. So I thought, well, how do you heal pain without addressing the brain? You can't just address the body. And I'm not talking about acute pain. Like I got an injury and it heals. I'm talking about prolonged pain. That's now chronic. That has to be also addressed with the brain. And so, and it's not just that it's all our life experiences that impact us. So now I'm realizing I've got to rewire these pain pathways, but oh my gosh, I just realized my nervous system has been living in survival Mm. for over 20 years Mm. and it's been operating in a subconscious stress response. And that's probably one reason also why I had so many injuries because it didn't matter. My ice baths, all the things, right. That Mm -hmm. us athletes have been doing a long time before it became popular. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, (laughs) And it's like, why am I getting injured? And it's like, oh my gosh, my system has been in stress. So it's not just the failed surgery. It was my system literally saw that as, oh my gosh, we're threatened again. I know what to do. Let's go into survival mode on overdrive. And that's what took that stress response and amplified it to the levels that I was finding myself in. So it wasn't just healing the chronic pain. It was healing how my life experiences had altered my brain and nervous system into living in stress and a subconscious level. Cause I wasn't like living in stress. Yeah. you Right. I was going after my dreams. I was like living my life. And that's the truth to a lot of us. And that's the root of bioemotional healing is that whether we feel stuck in physical stress, mental stress, emotional stress, trauma, the brain and nervous system are the command center of all of it. And we're treating the symptoms, but for many people, the root cause is this overly sensitized, hypervigilant, hyperprotective nervous system that has become conditioned to live in that stress, in that survival. And until I learned how to help my system, accept it didn't have to live there anymore, I wasn't going to be able to heal. And so that's what bioemotional healing was created for. How do I partner with my system to get it to flip that switch and trust that it can? Does ego play a role in your stress? Like how many times have you heard, well, I'm not that stressed. I don't have that much stress, but real, really there's, there's quite, quite a few layers of that. We've just been, is that what you mean by being conditioned? It's just normal. It's become our normalness that we don't even realize normal is a heightened state of stress. Yeah. And what, for a lot of us, right. What does that look like? It could be perfectionism, which I definitely had, you know, and a lot of elite athletes do, but I also did academically, but it was also a means of control for me. Like being the perfect patient was how I survived. So now I, I got to be perfect in every area of my life, right? Yep. Perfectionism is a constant state of stress, yeah. right? Um, because it's never enough and you're always striving for more. And then when you don't quote meet your own expectations, it's that feelings of failure, guilt, shame. And, and so that's stress, right? If you're constantly living in a state of overwhelm, that stress or feeling of not being enough, you know, never being enough, not worthy enough, that stress, which then also can come in the constant need for external validation. That's stress because you're on a constant roller coaster based on if people are giving it to you or not. If you're in a constant negative kind of thought loop, mm-hmm. 
that's a system in stress or one that you worry all the time about what could go wrong. You have anxiety, that's mm-hmm. stress. Depression is stress. It's the, it's the fawn aspect the fight or flight or fawn. It's the shutdown. Mm-hmm. That's stress, autoimmune stuff, stress, yep. <laughs> you know, chronic pain, stress. I'm not saying there might not be other factors at play, but if you don't turn off the stress in the nervous system, then yes, to a large degree, the best you can do is manage it, but right. not the get best you can do is beyond it. it. Yeah. So it's interesting too, because like most people are like stuck in their phones like this all day long and they don't realize how stressful them reading tweets, like people go into fight or flight over tweets. Oh yeah. It's- Oh yeah. (laughs) Just look at the comment section. Those are not emotionally regulated people. (laughs) No, that our phones. And we know that even all the more with neuroimaging, it's creating stress in our system. And, and it's in it, that, that dopamine release of that kind of immediate sense of something satisfaction or humor, but dopamine and serotonin have to play together. So we, if we have way too many dopamine spikes with technology, but that means serotonin has to to regulate it. So now we have a dip, like an overcome in serotonin, which then now we feel depressed. Like we're we're stressed because too also we're so into each other's lives, yes, and not into our own. And then we're like, oh, I'm not doing that, or I'm not, I don't have that. And and then we feel that sense of worthlessness, and then we we don't really look with it and sit with it. So we just go back to our phone, and that's. Like, I love technology. You and I are here today because of technology, right? But it has given us permission to not be with ourselves and not face the way that we have been altered by our life. And it doesn't take some huge traumatic event like mine. It could just be the accumulation of different life experiences, right? To really like sit with ourselves and say, gosh, what am I creating? What am I thinking? How have I been impacted? And that is where the ego comes in because mm-hmm. that's hard to look at. Like I, I had to, my ego came in, in the sense of like, I am a fighter, you know, like I am not defined by the fact that I, you know, all this happened to me. I'm a fighter. I'm an overcomer. And I had to sit in the truth of like, Ashley, it doesn't matter how much of a fighter you are. You went through hell and back. And who do you think you are that as a human soul, that didn't impact you deeply. And I had to sit in the truth that I had my own PTSD around my health. Like, even though I had visualized and knew our innate intelligence was to heal, I also fought between life and death for four years. I know how scary the human body can be. I know how quickly everything can change. And I was sent home to die. Like, I had to sit in the truth of like, I have health anxiety. I have trauma mm. around what my body could do. And, and that's mm. where I had to lay my ego aside because it was like, no, 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 look, you've never given up. Like, look what you did. And it was like, no, that impacted me. Yeah, and I have on. fears. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I have to work through that because yes. that is a part of my system too. It's not an either, or I am a fighter. I am an overcomer, but I'm also a human and who went through hell and I'm not a robot. So it's going to impact me. Like we can't go through challenging experiences 
and not believe we're not going to have challenging emotions and an impact. And that's not to scare us. It's to say, we've got to face that. I I like that. It's not, it's not to scare us. It's to develop mastery over yourself too. And your knowing you talk about how people, how you can rewire your brain. I want to talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about that because people say that, but how does that work? What is happening when, when we, when when we're doing that, like, how do we do it? How long does it take? Like, I want to know the whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's, let's first, let's show that in action first to where we get stuck. So you evolve, people are more versed with technology or not technology terminology. And so we've probably heard neuroplasticity, right? We've heard that that's the brain's ability to change itself. So that's what rewiring is, right? The ability to change itself. So that's what allows us as humans to become better at the things we practice. So that's how you became a great skier. That's how other people become a great pianist. That's how people retain information and now can teach it, right? We get better at the things we practice. So those neural connections become stronger. They become larger. They become more the default pathway in how we function, okay? The same way that neuroplasticity allows us to gain skill and mastery also allows us to get stuck in chronic stress cycles. So the more you've had pain, the more your brain defaults to pain. The more you've had worried thoughts, the more that becomes your brain's default way of thinking and seeing the world. The more you've had anything that has become an established neural connection for you and you've practiced it. So we get solidified. You repeat it. And that's why, and this is the other piece that I hate that is missing in the mental health and physical health world. It's like, well, you'll just get worse with time. And it's like, yeah, because those neural connections are getting stronger instead of just an acceptance that it will get worse with time. Right. And it's like, well, of course, because of this mechanism, but that we can actually take conscious control of and change. Mm -hmm. I I love the old dogs can't learn new tricks thing too. I'm like, says who? Yes. What does old mean? Like I'm seeing 80 year old women. I actually work with a woman who's in her seventies that just started a business. Yes. Hell yes. Yes. I know. Yes. (laughs) I hate that. People used to say to me too, cause they would see me and, and you, you, you know, I didn't quote, look like a chronic pain patient always. Right. Um, if you just saw me standing there when you, when I was struggling to walk, I would, and people would say, Oh, enjoy your youth. It's, it's downhill from here. You know? And I'm like, I refuse to believe that. Like I refuse. And plus my youth has had hellish years. I plan on feeling better. (laughs) You know, you're seeing people breaking out of that mold is because we are not accepting that as a society on many levels, especially women, especially menopausal women, especially like stars, like people in the media that were famous young people, they're not withering away. They are staying in the limelight and they are showing 50s, 60s, you know, 60s, the new 20 or whatever. (laughs) I love those. I think exactly. Hey, I'll embrace that. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, me too. (laughs) Can we talk about, and then we'll get back on, but the power of beliefs, because there was a belief of a certain age being old. And I'm not saying that better face creams and whatever you want to do, Botox or not, or things exist, but 
if you look at a picture of someone 40, 40 years ago versus today, Mm-hmm. it's wild scary right I actually turned 40 this year so yeah, I'm, I'm 42 I'm yeah like, girl we could be 25 who knows <laughs> that's right hey yeah. um but belief because if we have a belief of what old is I promise mm-hmm. you your brain and your body will start to reflect that like it, it it's so powerful and so we've had a shift in beliefs and therefore we've also showed up different we've mm-hmm. we've broken through barriers of what is possible no matter your age my oldest client today is 84 so you can think her neural connections were pretty solidified right yeah. and that's that excuse of i've been stuck too long yeah. you know i'm too old and it's like until the day we die the brain can change unless you really have brain injury where a part of your brain no longer works, obviously Alzheimer's and Parkinson's starts to come in. And that's where the brain itself isn't functioning. But aside from that, the brain can change till the day we die. It's just, we put limitations around it ourselves. And so there's a narrative. Yes. And guess what? If you believe it, you can't change it. Your brain is wired to validate what you believe. Like that is the truth for each of us. And that's why we are what we think about whether you believe you can or can't, you will be right. And that's where that personal responsibility has to come in. I watched you, I watched one of your um, talks and you said, and I quote, you don't have a fear problem. You have a belief problem. And that just was awesome. It's, can you explain that a little bit or go a little bit deeper into that? Yeah. We're all afraid in some way. And fear is a protective mechanism in the nervous system. So I hate when people are like, fear isn't real. And I'm like, in fact, yes, it is like, and and no one's immune from it. And there's going to be certain aspects in your life. You're afraid anything we're vulnerable in. So people we love, we all have a deep fear of something happening to them or losing them. Our dreams, the things we want in life, we have a fear of not being able to achieve it, right? We, we all have that. And that's part of the protective mechanisms of our brain of wanting to protect us from that potential emotional hurt if we don't get there, right? So Mm -hmm. fear is very real and it's going to be very real a part of every single one of our lives. Like as tough as I was, I was afraid to die. Absolutely. 1000 million percent. Right. So we think fear is the problem. We think fear is holding us back from taking those actions, taking that leap, quitting our job, going after that relationship, whatever it is, but it's really not fear is a part of the human experience. That is part of our nervous system. So it's going to be there, but our beliefs around the fear or around our potential or possibility are really the bodyguards because they're deciding every single day, the lens we see our life through. If we let fear hold the power, it will always be through limitation and scarcity and can't. And the more we lean into that, the more the protective mechanisms of the brain will get stronger and the brain will hold us there. And it will reinforce that when we start believing in something bigger than our fears, in possibility, in our potential. And we, we visualize that and we start showing up in alignment with that every day, then fear might still be there, but it doesn't hold the power because now the belief is strong enough to be bigger 
than the fear. And so that is to that point of like, feel the fear and do it anyway, but not just blindly to a point of like, I am afraid I I could fail, right? I could Mm -hmm. fail, but I want to see what happens if I keep going. I want to see what happens if I take that leap and I show up every day. Like I believe there's a possibility beyond what my fears are telling me can or cannot be. And that's where that is personal responsibility of what am I believing and reinforcing and stating every day? Because so much of us have been so conditioned to fight for our limitations. This is who I am. This is, I'm not this, I'm not this. I can't be that. I was born this way. My parents were this way. My body's been through this. Like, this is my metabolism. This is my genetics, right? This is just who I am. Yes, totally. This is just who I am. This changed me right? This experience changed me. This happened to me. We all have those things to point to. Like every human being, if you've lived a life, you can point to certain things, certain people, certain circumstances. But if you keep claiming that you will keep them because you're telling your brain, this is who I am. And your brain is going, okay, now I'll go do my job and I'll find evidence every day to validate it. And the Mm -hmm. more I validate it, the more I solidify it, And you cannot be, you cannot act different from who you say you are. So people are like, why can't I change? But every day I'm like, I'm not a morning person, but (laughs) I somehow expect myself to wake up in the morning. And when that alarm goes off and this is simple, but I want you to just, because it's simple, it's easy to understand. When that alarm goes off, your brain is like, what are you doing? You're not a morning person. So push that snooze button. If you try to go to bed early at night, your brain, this is subconscious is like, you're not a morning person. So stay up late. Mm -hmm. Right. But then people are like, Oh, I can't do it. And it's like, but literally one sentence before you told me I'm not a morning person. Right. Mm So you have to start shifting that to like, I want to be a morning person. Maybe you can't even declare like I'm, I'm becoming a morning person. And then what's one action step a day. I can start to take to where now I'm validating that evidence to my brain. And I keep doing that. And that's the part where people don't want to give it the time and consistency to actually change the wiring. That is the, right? that, I would, I would absolutely have to agree with that because change in any capacity, positive or negative, there is a, a certain level of discomfort. It's not going to oh, yeah. feel the same way. Like to sleep in feels good. That's why you do it. Yeah. To stay in bed. That's right. So to not do it, it's going to feel not good until it doesn't. And then because yeah. other things will domino and maybe you won't have that 2 p.m. crash because you don't need 40,000 coffees because you had a better breakfast in the morning because you had more time to meditate or exercise or whatever, whatever the case mm-hmm. is. It's mm-hmm. like, it's just really interesting how we lean away from discomfort and then, and then snap into the, that's not me. I I'm not mm-hmm. that, you know, like, yeah. And that is an excuse mechanism to help us feel better. Yeah. Right. Let's just really, here's what we all need to accept. The brain will always seek what's familiar. Yeah. Even if it's crap, even if it's hell. So even if it's anxiety, even if it's limiting beliefs, it's self-doubt, it's familiar to the brain. So the brain wants to do that. And and because the brain has so much it's in charge of, <laughs> it wants yeah. to do whatever reflexively it can. It's like, listen, I'm, I'm running your entire body. So let's just do what we've done before. Cause that doesn't take any effort on my behalf. I can just do it. Yeah. 
That's why anything new is uncomfortable because your brain is also like, man, you're asking some more energy from me. Right. And it's like, but we also have to be honest with ourselves. This is temporarily uncomfortable, but the greatest discomfort is constantly living less than we feel we could. Like that is discomfort that makes us not feel meaning in our life, makes us not progress. And that's actually the greatest discomfort. If we really sit with it, it's like the discomfort of change is and can be challenging, but the discomfort of staying stuck is so much harder and it gets harder with time. The discomfort of change gets easier with time. Um, This woman, when I was running Ironman, she was also she was losing weight and she had this goal of doing an Ironman. And she said, you know what? Being fat and out of shape is hard. It's hard to be there. Doing this, getting fit and doing a marathon is hard. And she says, choose your hard. And it's always been this like underlying motto. It's like, choose, I'm always choosing my hard. And because not one, one's not easier than the other. It seems simple, but it's not easy. I also like that, that it's a simple choice, but it's not easy to make. And I find that it's, it's really, 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 really interesting. Okay. Oh my gosh. I want to talk to you for like, can we like Joe Rogan this and talk for four hours? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Seriously. No, I know. We'll do part two, maybe sometime. Yeah. Well, tell everybody where they can find you and work with you because your work is really, really fascinating. It's easy to get lost, like even in your webpage with all of the information that you have, you have some free things like where, where can they find you? Yeah. So they can go to my website. I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes. Cause my name yeah. is not spelled easily. Yeah. Ashleydelello.com. I have a free mind body blueprint there. That's going to give you a three-step action plan to start just disrupting those habitual patterns, those thoughts, those emotional responses. I have a free training on the brain. That's longer there. I have another video that just kind of gives you a a 10 minute explanation of bioemotional healing and your brain and nervous system. I have my bod, my podcast, the bioemotional yes. healing podcast. Congrats. That's several, sort of new. Is that a new? Yes. Endeavor? Well, I, yeah. I, it, I took it, I started it and then my work became so much that I had something had to go. So I let my podcast yeah. go for a time, but I brought it back. back and I, baby. I am excited about that. You know, you know, the work that goes into that, but it's totally. also, I love having that resource like you to bring forth information and other guests. Um, And then from my website, like if this is you and you feel stuck and you feel like you're, you're in stress, your nervous system, right? Whether that's showing up emotionally, mentally, or physically, you can schedule a free consult and listen, some people can change by just changing their thoughts. People whose nervous system has been altered because of trauma or prolonged emotional stress or prolonged physical stress it takes a different type of process to get beyond you wanting to be different to where your system wants to be different and trust to be different. And that's, you know, really what my work is rooted in, not just even though people stuck, but people who really want to upgrade their life, but because it is an in-depth process, I have, you can schedule a free consult just to see if it is the right fit. But what I do know is we're all made powerful. We just need some help of unlearning the things that hold us stuck, which then now creates a space where we can rewire 
to do the things that allows us to live the way we want to. Mm, That's so beautiful. And all coming from someone who walks the talk, who walks the talk, who has spent a mile in your shoes in some way, shape or form, I guarantee. So thank you so much for sharing your story and for, and your light and being here today. That was very inspiring and you're just amazing. Oh, thank you. Well, we, we could talk forever. I I know. I was like, Oh, your energy. We're obviously (laughs) like-minded souls. And that's why we get all excited and we're like, yes, yes, yes. So I, it's been an honor to be here. Thank you. All right. Until next time. Okay. I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elisa and filter podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to share the love and head over to Apple podcast, Google play or Spotify, and give the show a five-star rating. I'll give you bonus points for leaving a written review. And if you're looking for more, head over to elisaunfiltered.com for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone until next time.